Good morning, everybody. Those of you at home, uh, welcome, or in the car as you're watching on your phone, be careful. It happens. <laughs> We're glad you're here today. We're, we are continuing in our series of uh, messages on the journey to Jerusalem based in the book of Luke. Uh, we started in chapter 9, and now we're all the way into chapter 18, and um, we're learning a lot of lessons. And if you've been listening carefully, you've been hearing a lot of recurring themes throughout this series. And uh, today is another reminder theme that um, Jesus finds important for his disciples to know, and he's going to address a very, uh, I guess, sensitive issue in, in some regards. And uh, so, <clears throat> as I speak the message today, listen for what God is wanting you to hear. That may sound like I'm pinpointing one particular part of society, but really, Jesus' words uh, apply right across the board to everybody. So let me just uh, open our time in prayer as we go into God's Word. Father God, thank you for this day that you provide for your Word that is instructive to us, also comforting and gives us direction I pray your spirit will have access to our mind and hearts so that um, we hear from you, not just the speaker on the stage. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I need, a, I need a helper to drop this back off at the PowerPoint person if someone would take this for me and uh, put it back there. Little logistical uh, oversight. <clears throat> there we go. Many years ago, I don't know how many now, probably 10 years ago, was the first time that I was asked to go to uh, Senegal, it's West Africa. My mother had a mission trip going there with medical missions team, and uh, the, the, the evangelist didn't, uh, wasn't able to go. So she says, Tom, you need to come help our church. This was a church down in Atlanta, Georgia. You need to help our church. You come be the evangelist and go to Senegal with us. And I go, I don't even know where Senegal is. So... Let me look this place up. And in West Africa, with the big hump on the left side of Africa, it's kind of in the middle uh, region down there, middle to the south part of that hump on the left. And so I agreed to go and uh, went to this small village uh, named Amerikunda. Had no electricity, no cars, only dirt roads and pathways. I didn't see any actual shoes with laces. I just saw flip-flops. Um, most kids just had a T-shirt uh, shorts on. Um, some of them had really bright colored outfits. I think that this is kind of the dress up. If you're going to a wedding or a funeral, special event, you dress up. Um, there were no playthings. I didn't see kids with trucks and toys. I saw a milk carton with wheels uh, pinned to the side on a rope that the kid was pulling. And I saw a monkey on a rope. And this was a monkey that had been captured. And uh, it was quite pathetic because it kept trying to escape up the trees. And, uh, but the rope stopped it each time. The kids would laugh. I felt it was a little bit cruel, but I'm not sure I could have done anything about it at the time. But as I was preparing the message today, I thought about that monkey. And I'd heard years and years ago about how you catch a monkey. And uh, I don't know why, but this kind of stuck in my brain. So how you catch a monkey, and as this has been done, done for centuries, is that you have some kind of a container with a small opening in it, much like this gourd or coconut or something or box or whatever you use. It's just small enough for a little monkey hand to go inside, uh, but you put like a banana or something inside this jug with this container. 
So, and then you put it out in the open where it can be seen. And most of the time, if you have a lot of monkeys around, they're watching your every move anyway. So you put this out there, and the monkey will reach in to the container and grab onto the banana or whatever's inside, and it can't, can't get his hand out. It's kind of, it's too big now to pull through the hole. And uh, the monkey will refuse, to, they got a prize. They will refuse to let it go, even when the captors walk up to them. They're trying to get away, but they got this big weight on the arm, and you can catch them because they refuse to let go of this prize, this, this, this uh, thing that they have found inside. Luke 18, in many ways, is similar to this story. A person was trapped by the things he couldn't let go of. Once a religious leader asked Jesus this question, a good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. Well, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. When Jesus heard the answer, he said, there is still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But when the man heard this, he became very sad, for he was very rich. When Jesus saw this, he said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard this said, well, then who in the world can be saved? And he replied, what is impossible for people is possible with God. Peter said, well, we've left our homes to follow you. And Jesus said, yes. And I assure you that everyone who has given up, house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will be repaid many times over in this life and will have eternal life in the world to come. So a man came to Jesus, and we're not always totally familiar with the cultural uh, aspects uh, that surround the text that we're reading. We don't understand Middle Eastern culture um, and uh, historical context when we see these words. We come at it from kind of a Greek mindset with our cultural background and our understandings and so let's just let you know that what was happening here, well, there's more to the eye. So when this man was saying, good teacher, uh, it was a respectful greeting that acknowledged uh, position. Uh, it was something that was customary that was supposed to elicit a similar reply of respect and status. But Jesus does not accept this customary greeting, does not reply as expected. He was supposed to re reply with respect uh, and acknowledging this rich person's status at the same time. He doesn't play this game. He actually um, kind of refuses this greeting. He says, why do you call me good? The guy, I'm sure he was taken back a little bit, like, well, I'm just being respectful. Only God is good says Jesus. It kind of sets him, uh, I, what I kind of see happening is that Jesus is taking control of the discussion. He's taking it away from the man right from the very start because he knows where he wants to go with this. 
discussion, with this conversation. I also wonder if it's a small test for this uh, wealthy person, a cerebral joust to test his theological foundation. Um, what Jesus is actually saying, if you understand what's happening here, is he never, never says, I'm not good. He just says, only God is good. And by implication, he's actually saying, I'm God. Only God is good. And you call me good? He doesn't deny the fact that he's good. He just wants the person to understand maybe who he's really talking to. So the man comes to him wanting to seem, uh, seem justified for all of his good works uh, in this conversation. All of the things he's done add up maybe to eternal life as a reward. But Jesus is going to debunk a couple of uh, common misunderstandings regarding salvation. The first is that salvation can be inherited. In other words, he, the man says, well, I've kept all of these commandments since I was a little child. I mean, in my home, we were, we were a very religious home, no doubt. I'm guessing the guy probably inherited a bunch of money from his folks. You don't just become super wealthy uh, at this, this age, that it seems to me. So he got a lot of money from his folks, a very religious home, kept all the commandments, look how good I am. And I, I think probably he thought maybe the number of years of following the rules counted towards earning his salvation. But he at least implies that he grew up in a religious home, and he probably inherited some faith from his, from his parents. But Jesus is replying that whatever has happened in your past is really insufficient. It's your present life that is at odds with the kingdom of God. He continues to follow the rules, but he does not follow Jesus in this story. The second debunking that he does is that salvation is based on good works or following all the rules. And this guy was a rule follower. Keep the commandments. Salvation, Jesus says, is a gift of God. It's not something that you earn by all of the wonderful things that you do. It comes through Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Christ actually offers this man, if you read the passage, he's offering the man salvation. And the man walks away empty-handed. He had too many adult complications and trappings and encumbrances. Remember, just before the beginning of this chapter, 18, Jesus says, unless you come as a what? As a child. You cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless you come simply, uh, humbly, respectfully, uncomplicated, just being willing to do what I say, just to follow the instructions, just to accept a gift that I want to give you. You cannot enter my kingdom. Like the monkey with the jar, he was unwilling to let go of what trapped his heart. So Jesus engages him uh, at a level of conversation that he's quite familiar with about commandments. These were very important in his home. I wonder, can you say all of the Ten Commandments from memory? How good are you at that? It seems, mm, let's see. I'll give you a hint. Hint? <laughs> Next slide. There we go. Here's a hint. Have no other gods before me. Make no idols. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath. Honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false, false witness. This was in a a court of law where you would tell lies about someone for personal gain. Maybe you're bribed to um, pervert justice. Do not steal. 
and do not covet. So the ones that Jesus actually focuses on in this conversation are not the ones dealing with God. We'll go to the next slide. They're the ones dealing with people. And this is kind of curious. He, he doesn't say, you know, if you want to have a salvation, don't have any other gods before me. Worship God only. Don't make any idols. He doesn't say that off the bat. He pinpoints all of the commandments that deal with relationships with the people around him. It was clear that this man's wealth had been accumulated for his own security and had not been spent on the welfare of those around him. And Jesus saw that the man did not have any concern for the marginalized, or the poor, the needy, or the powerless. He made sure his needs were taken care of, but not the needs of those around him. So Jesus, you know, we just had one great reversal last week when Jesus said, unless you come as a child, the disciples were pushing the children away from Jesus, and Jesus says, no, let them come. Unless you enter as a child, you can't even come into the kingdom. They're scratching and says, what are you talking about? Children don't mean anything. They're, they're of little value until they grow up and can help work. He's going, no, no. Kids are important. The marginalized are important. Everyone that you consider, least of all, are the ones I died for as well. And I consider them important. Here he's doing another great reversal because... Most people thought if you were super wealthy, you were definitely blessed by God. And, he, and we're going to learn in this passage that that's not the case. So Jesus turns to the first four commandments in a different way. One's about putting God first and having no other idols before him. He, he points out these bottom four or five commandments, and the guy says, I've kept all of these since my youth, but the guy's not, he's, he's not getting the point yet. He's not understanding that Jesus is saying, no, you haven't actually. No, you haven't actually kept these commandments because do you remember the first and second greatest commandments? First one is to love with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. And the second one is like to it. It is love your neighbor as yourself. So if Jesus was to summarize all the commandments, he, he, he came up with just the two most important. And this guy wasn't actually following either one. He was following the ten rules, but he'd forgotten about the love relationship with God and with others. There's still one thing you haven't done, mister. Sell everything you have, give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Give up your idol of money, recognize it, and address the needs of the poor around you. Be my follower. So he drops into the whole conversation basically the two greatest commandments at this point. And the guy's, he's, he, he thought he was smart. He thought he was powerful. He thought he was influential. And he's come up against a guy. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know how to answer. He's basically silent because it says when the man heard this, he was very sad for he was very rich. And Jesus says, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So it's a bit of an exaggeration to the point of absurdity. It's ridiculous to think a camel could go through the eye of a needle. It's impossible. Jesus is saying there are certain things that just seem impossible. He's saying that if the rich enter the kingdom of God, it will be a miracle. So the 
the key to being wealthy, and what I understand here, is not to love your riches more than God. It's not to trust in your riches more than you trust in God. It's to see that your riches as a means of blessing to others and not as objects to hoard for yourself. Jesus says in Matthew 5, we call the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes in his Sermon on the Mount. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs, theirs is the kingdom of God. He's suggesting that there's a way to enter the kingdom of God. Even if you have tons of money, if you are poor in spirit, if you are depending on God, if you do trust in the one who provided all of the things that you have, but use it not for your own sustenance, use it for his glory and in the needs of others. So the, the disciples would have embraced the rich man and rebuked the children. And Jesus does the opposite. He embraces the children and rebukes the rich man in this chapter 18. He, he, he had previously elevated the children over adults, and here he's elevating the poor over the wealthy. He says, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Like, take care of their needs. Do you remember the parable of another rich man and Lazarus the beggar? In this earth, we read this a couple of weeks ago, in this earth, uh, the rich man had everything, Lazarus had nothing. He was the beggar, but in heaven, there's a great reversal. Lazarus the beggar becomes rewarded, blessed, and the rich man becomes the beggar. Can I just have a drop of water? So being wealthy is a great privilege, but it's also a great responsibility. And it's also... In this passage, coming with spiritual challenges because there's going to be a constant fight spending more time with your bank balances and portfolios than you do in your time with God or with serving in his kingdom. So this person left, went away very sad. But it's not really just money, right? This is, as I say, we're not pinpointing those that have more money than they need. We're pinpointing people that have something that's come between them and God. It doesn't have to be money. It could be your hobbies or addictions or traveling or entertainment, sports, pursuit of fame and reputation, notoriety. It could be your family and fashion. Lots of things can come between us and God. We can pursue things, trust in things, have things as our security instead of God all the time. And Jesus is saying, you want to enter my kingdom? You know how hard it's going to be? Some people just, they're trapped. They can't let go. They're holding on to the security. They think that it's going to take care of them. And in the end, they find out that it was not worth the effort because they're missing out on the biggest prize of all. Peter said, well, we've left our homes to follow you. Jesus said, well, I assure you that everyone who has given up a house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will be repaid many times over in this life. And we'll have eternal life in the world to come. You might think that this is another exaggeration. I'm not going to leave my kids. I'm not going to leave my mom and dad or my wife. I can tell you that there are places where you have to. There are many countries where it's illegal to be a Christian. It's illegal to follow Christ. You will be imprisoned if you become a Christian in, in many countries. You will be put in jail. You will have your family taken away from you. Your business will be gone if you follow Jesus. This is true. We are so 
fortunate to live in this country, but in many other countries. I've been in countries where I had to meet with people at secret at nighttime who were believers, but no, no, nobody knew because they didn't want to have to go to jail or lose their family. Sometimes kids, when they're older, will try and dissuade you from following Jesus. Sometimes parents will try to dissuade you from going on missions or giving your life in full-time service to, to God. You're not taking my grandbabies away from me and going off to Africa, somewhere, South America, wherever it is you want to go. Sometimes you have to say, I'm sorry, I've got to follow Jesus with this. Sometimes you are, you are shunned, you are um, abandoned by family because you are not following their way, their ritual, their heritage, their history. You're breaking faith with what has happened for generations. And this passage plays out over and over and over again, even today. It can be very, very real, the cost of being a disciple of Jesus, but it will never outweigh the benefits and rewards that Jesus promises his followers. Jesus looks with great love and admiration at those who are willing to pay the price for following him. He promises to repay them for their sacrifice in many different ways. I want to point out a couple of things. I was having discussion, I have discussions with my wife and other people about passages that I'm dealing with during the week. And uh, here's two things that were brought up. One, you notice that Jesus did not say to this man, hey, you got a lot of money. If you would just invest that in my ministry and come follow me, we can party. We can have a great time. Just think how what we could do in reaching out around the world with all of this money that you have to donate to my ministry. He didn't say that. He wasn't actually interested. He said, give it all away to the poor. He wasn't asking for the money. He was asking for his heart. Second, this is from Brad. He says, um, you notice that Jesus didn't chase after this guy. He let him walk away. He told him the truth. He gave him the answer. The guy didn't want that answer, and he walked away sad because he wasn't hearing what he wanted to hear. He heard the truth. He didn't hear some misunderstanding, some assumption that had been gone on for years and years and generation after generation, he heard the truth from the one who actually runs the kingdom and he didn't like it and he walked away. How many times do we want to chase after people? No, 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 you don't understand. Let me explain. No, we can work something out. We can negotiate. We can find some way to make this work. Jesus did not chase after people. I don't find anywhere in the New Testament he was running. He told them the truth. He gave them ways to, to follow him. And they many times said, yes, I want to follow you. And other times they said, yeah, I'm not ready for that. And they missed out. And then in verse 27, it gives us some hope. It says, what is impossible with people is possible with God. God can make a way. But it will be on his terms and in his way, not ours. So here's a few questions in terms of application. Um, how's your heart today? I'm thinking you're probably in a pretty good place if you're actually here today observing the Sabbath, wanting to hear a word from the Lord, wanting to offer your worship. I think you're probably in a pretty good place. But 
So was this rich guy. He thought he was okay. He thought he was doing all the right things. How's your heart? What has a hold of your heart and your affections? Let me ask you to take time maybe this week and ask Jesus, what does he see? Can he help you take an inventory of your life to see if there's anything that's more important to you than he is? Ask him to help you release control that it has over you and be fully free to follow him without reservation. Ask God to help you always see those, things, uh, those people around you as he does and to be willing to show them love as he would. He, again, in this passage, elevates those that are marginalized, those that are, don't have uh, status and wealth and power, those that are vulnerable. He says, if you've got something to share, share it with those that have, don't have. And finally, stop trying to earn your way to heaven. It can't be done. It's, it's impossible. With, with man, it's impossible to get to heaven. It's like trying to get through an eye of a needle. But with God, all things are possible. God can bring humility. God can bring perspective. God can bring in our hearts what, and shape us and mold us to be acceptable in his kingdom. He told us in Matthew chapter 5 the kinds of things he's looking for in those he wants in his kingdom. He wants those who depend on God and are not self-sufficient. He, he wants those who have a compassionate heart, who, who care for others. I think we have a slide about this. He wants those who are humble, realizing who we are before God. He wants those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who are Christ-like. Those who are merciful, those who have pure hearts, those who are seeking peace, who resolve dissension and anger and bitterness with others, those who are actually persecuted for doing the right thing. And this is where family comes in. Sometimes you will be persecuted. You will be misunderstood. You will be lied about because you are a follower of Jesus. When you go against the world's way and, and follow God's values and expectations, the family or friends or coworkers can turn on you. They may not like your choice. So what's he saying to us today? I, I'm fairly convinced, and I didn't read this in my commentary, but I'm fairly convinced Jesus knew this guy was not going to follow him from the start. He knew that he was not going to get through to this guy because the way he ends the, the story, how hard it is for any rich person to come into the kingdom because they... They're not willing to be humble and depend on God. I think he knew from the start there was going to be rejection. But it was a lesson for his disciples to say, stop looking at people the way the world looks. Stop thinking that God blesses what the world chases after. It's the opposite. If you show kindness and courage and compassion and grace to those around you, that's what God's looking for. Christ's messages are, are really sometimes piercing to our heart. And I, just to say, around the whole world, in comparison, we are the rich ones. We, you got anything in the bank account? You're rich. You got a car? You're rich. You got a house, apartment, condo? You're rich. You got an education? You went to college, went to university? You're extremely fortunate and lucky. We are the rich ones in the story. 
and we have more than we need, that means we need to be lifting others up, helping others with a helping hand. We're not exempt in this story because we don't have tons and tons of money. We have the same expectations that Jesus has for all people. We come on our knees before God. We come humbly. We come recognizing his mercy and grace in our life that we have nothing to offer him. Doesn't matter how good you've been. He wants your heart. Father God, thank you for this message today, for its, how it pierces us to the heart, to the core, to realize that it's not us that has anything to offer you. It's you that has offered so much to us. And in return, you just ask us to recognize who we are in your presence, to realize that we should come as children to a heavenly Father who loves us and cares for us. Not what we have done, Father, but what you have done. Let us be gracious, grateful, compassionate, and kind to all those around us too. Being your hands and feet, bringing a message of hope and grace wherever we go. Thank you for this day. and pray in Christ's name, amen.